Well, good morning. So glad that you chose to join us again today. We're continuing our series of scripture talks about kings and queens based on uh, ancient Israel leaders and the way they led, and not just the way they led, but the way they lived. And so this is not a, a series on leadership as much as it's a series about life. Uh, but we can learn a lot from Israel's leaders. And uh, just before we dive into our teaching theme for this morning, I just want to remind all of our members of our important annual meeting planned for Sunday, uh, March the 6th at 4 p.m. on our Zoom platform. Uh, you can check your email inbox where there's been uh, a couple of emails sent to you with some directions on how you can find the link to that meeting. And um, looking forward again to celebrating all the good things God's been doing through our church community and then talking about some important things to come uh, and some updates for you as we move along. So again, that's Sunday, March the 6th at 4 p.m. over Zoom platform. So today we're going to uh, talk about two people, a husband and wife team a king, Ahab, and his wife, the queen, um, Jezebel. And uh, we're going to consider some life lessons we can learn from them. Uh, this series has been about understanding um, that there are some things that the kings and queens of Israel's history have got right and some things that they didn't get so right. And uh, scripture uh, records for us um, people who lived their lives, sometimes they nailed it, sometimes they didn't. And uh, there's opportunities for us to learn from reading uh, the character sketches that Scripture provides for us. This series is going to take us through the Lent season, and it's going to conclude on Easter weekend, where on Good Friday, Dr. Peter Newman will be giving a talk uh, based on the theme that Jesus, who is the King of uh, Thorns, um, uh, he dies for the sins of the whole world, for crimes he didn't commit, and, um, and then on Easter Sunday, we'll celebrate again that Jesus is the King of life. And uh, so between now and then, we're going to take a, a look at various uh, leaders in Israel's history and again, learn some life lessons along the way. So, so far, we've understood that um, kings and queens are both noble and uh, sometimes not so noble. Um, they have character challenges. Saul with his jealousy, anger, impulsivity, and his insecurity. We've learned that various kings had uh, various measures of devotion, like King Solomon, who allowed his heart to be led astray. David was a man who was tender-hearted and trusting. And so today we're going to take a look at uh, relational influence, a husband and wife team, uh, Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen of Israel. And uh, But before we do that, we'll take a quick look at our passage to ponder that we're taking with us during the series. And uh, again, Jesus, who is the uh, crucified king, who is also the resurrected king, um, he stands before Pilate just before he is condemned to death, again, for crimes he didn't commit. And he says these words. He says, my kingdom is not of this world in John 18. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But he says, now my kingdom is from another place. There was a whole different set of values and an orientation that set Jesus' um, kingship or his kingdom over and against the kingdom of this world. And so um, it was from another place and it was oriented around a set of values from a whole different place. And uh, we are all invited into the kingdom of God to live life under King Jesus. And so for now, we get an opportunity to learn life lessons from the ancient kings and queens of Israel's history. So uh, relational influence is very real. Uh, this is why scripture cautions us um, to um, be careful who we um, walk with. He says, the person who walks with the wise grows wise. Um, but scripture says, a companion of fools suffers harm. 
And so um, the epitaph, unfortunately, written about Ahab's life is quite sad and disappointing. Listen to these two verses found in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, and chapter 21, verse 25. It says this, Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife, so this epitaph, this kind of final word spoken over King Ahab is one where he is um, doing more evil than any of the kings before him. He sold himself. He, he, he literally negotiated his, um, his character and his future well-being. Um, he sold himself out to do evil. And he married Jezebel, who was the daughter um, of, of, uh, of a Canaanite uh, family, and used to all sorts of uh, idolatry, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But the three observations about Ahab's life is that he did more evil than the kings before him. He sold himself, and he married Jezebel, his wife, and she urged him on in that direction. So I have three thoughts for you this morning. We'll talk about the beginning, the middle, and the ending of Ahab and Jezebel's relationship and their lives. Uh, they were most definitely um, partners in corrupt leadership, I guess we could say. And uh, they go down in history as quite uh, infamous uh, in, in this regard. And so um, we're going we're gonna to take a snapshot at the beginning, middle, and end. And at the beginning, we learn that uh, their relationship was rooted in idolatry. It's a theme in the Older Testament. And it's a concerning theme because idolatry is a violation of the first two commandments. Again, God himself speaks through Moses. And he says this in Exodus chapter 20. He says, commandment number one, you must not have any other gods except me. God himself says to the people of Israel, as he's forming them into the people of God, he says, I want exclusive devotion from my people. No other gods before me. I've got to be first and foremost. That's the first commandment. The second one goes like this. You must not make for yourselves an idol that looks anything in, uh, like, looks like anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the water below the land. You must not worship or serve any idol because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. If you hate me, the Lord says, I will punish your children and even your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, but I will show kindness to thousands who love me and who obey my commands. And so God invites the people of God to um, prioritize him, to be fully devoted to him, to orient their lives around him, to put him at the very center. And so idols have been problematic. They tripped up the people of Israel uh, over the centuries. And it's not just an ancient archaic conversation about um, uh, objects that we form and create and venerate and worship, but this concept of idolatry has something to say to us in the 21st century as well. Here's the principle that we need to hold tightly to. We were made on purpose by God for a purpose, for him. We were made by love and for love. And so anytime we create a substitute um, we actually do harm to ourselves. Um, and here's a really important idea that we need to understand. The reason why God cautions us in this regard is because idolatry is bad for us. It actually takes us in all the wrong directions. And it's not that we, we bow down to a carved image necessarily as we consider life in the 21st century, 
but it's our heart moves in all sorts of different directions away from God, the one true God. This is what Pastor Gary uh, spoke on last week. He did such a wonderful job too of, of pointing us in the direction of being um, exclusively devoted to God. And Solomon struggled with that. His heart was led astray. And here we have a, another working example of Ahab marrying a woman from a Canaanite uh, country who was uh, preoccupied with idolatry and his heart was led astray. And so this is a principle, again, that we need to hold tightly to. We become what we love. We become what we love. Uh, David gave a warning to the people of God when he wrote Psalm 115. Um, And it's true that when two people spend time together, they become like one another. That's why uh, people who get married, uh, they end up finishing one another's sentences because they spend so much time together. The two become one, right? This is the way it's supposed to be. Um, and, and sometimes some couples will have this experience where literally they'll be thinking the very same thing in the very same moment. And it's like, uh, you do become like the people you spend time with. And so uh, this is what David writes in Psalm 115. He says, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And then this is the huge point in this passage. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. Psalm 115 verses 2 through 8. And so the conversation around idolatry today is not about an ancient time in history only, though it includes it, it's our context for today's teaching, but it includes 21st century living as well. Um, We make a great big deal out of accumulating money, possessing power, pursuing pleasure, achieving a highly regarded position or title, earning an education or advanced degrees. We esteem these pursuits. And sometimes... They become larger than life for us, and we devote ourselves to pursuing them because there's some sort of payoff for us. Uh, When we talk about modern-day 2022 uh, idolatry, usually the self is at the very center. Um, Jeffrey Curtis Poor defines idolatry this way, and maybe this helps us in our context. Anything that becomes more important to us than God can be an idol. Anything that can become more important to us then God can be an idol. And he lists the top 10 things in our culture that can compete for our supreme devotion to the one true God. He says our self-identity, self-esteem, money, job status, physical appearance, entertainment, sex, pursuit of personal comfort, technology, even family, and popularity. These are the big 10, he describes them, as potential idols that can trip us up and divert our attention away from giving God top priority or top place in our lives. So the stories of Ahab and Jezebel and the idolatry that was causal for them and their downfall is not just an ancient story with ancient um, implications, but it's up close and personal for us and presents the very same challenge that can trip us up and derail our own lives as well. And finally, again, we resemble the people we love. So we're talking today about relational influence. Um, we, we, um, we are what we love, or we begin to resemble what we love, and we resemble the people that we love. Um, let's take a look at 1 Kings 16, 31 to 33. He, which is Ahab, not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. 
Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So Ahab again allows his heart to be led astray by Jezebel, who is now his wife. And she comes from a backstory where idolatry was just commonplace. It was part of the culture of her upbringing. And so Baal was known as the sun god or the storm god and was the name of the supreme male deity worshipped by ancient Phoenicians and Canaanites. Asherah was the moon goddess. She was the principal female deity worshipped by ancient Syrians, Phoenicians, and Canaanites. So this is the culture that Jezebel comes from. She's being brought into Israel to be a part of Israel's leadership that has divorced itself from supreme devotion to the one true God. And she brings with her, her ideology and her values. And Baal and Asherah specifically promoted values that led people away from the one true God and offered a permissive and illicit approach to sexuality. Jezebel's from this Canaanite um, country where idolatry flourished, where child sacrifice and deviant sexual practices were commonplace. And so she was exposed to those values. She had owned those values. It had transformed her character. It's who she was. And so we become what we worship in many ways. We resemble what we love. And in fact, in this situation, Ahab begins to resemble the person that he loves. Never, ever underestimate the power of relational love and relational contact. When we attach ourselves to certain people, like begets like, we are attracted to those people who are like us in some way. And at the same time, we become more like them the closer we live and the longer we spend time in relationship with them. And so principles to keep in mind under our first thought for consideration today is this. There are always consequences to idolatry. In this backstory, if you read it for yourself, 1 Kings chapter 16 or so, all the way through to chapter 21, you'll find that there were three years of famine because there was a famine of devotion to the one true God. There was a famine of the word of God, in fact. And so there was a um, physical, natural manifestation of those things that were going on in the um, personal leadership, spiritual domain of Israel. And so there are always consequences to our idolatry. Secondly, God gives us opportunities to make changes and adjustments. He's incredibly patient with us. Elijah came to Ahab and gave him opportunities to make a mid-course correction, and he refused. In fact, um, prophets would come and they would correct people, but they would also hold out hope for a future change. And so Ahab said no to that. And when we resist, the third, the third principle is this, when we resist, God will demonstrate his supremacy. And you read in the story, there is this, what we call a showdown on Mount, Mount Carmel, where the prophets of Baal go up against Elijah and uh, the fire comes from heaven and demonstrates that the God of Elijah is the one true God. And there is a slaughtering of the prophets uh, in that story. And then we'll pick up the story a little bit later about how Jezebel is extremely angry with what Elijah has done. And so our first thought for consideration this morning is this. Um, the beginning of their relationship is that their relationship was founded upon idolatry. And secondly, for us today, um, we consider this, the middle of their story, it was a relationship of boundary violations that produced the fruit of deception and violence. There were boundary violations all over the place in this relationship. 
and it produced something. It produced uh, deception and violence. And so Jezebel is a wicked woman, but why is she so wicked? Well, as we've already mentioned, she had a Canaanite backstory of idolatry and she brought her attachment to idolatry into her marriage relationship. And uh, she did not differentiate herself from her people uh, from the land of Canaan. She brought those values and those priorities with her into her marriage and into her leadership. And she used tactics. They were informed by her idolatry. Remember, we become what we worship. We resemble what we love. And so she used tactics of threat and intimidation. Remember, following the showdown in Mount Carmel, uh, we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. The showdown is found in chapter 18. And there's been a slaughtering of the prophets of Baal. Remember, this is a, a, a reflection of her attachments and her devotion from her homeland that she's brought with her into Israel, into her marriage relationship with Ahab. And um, so following the showdown, when Ahab got home in verse one of chapter 19 of 1 Kings, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. This is a woman with an anger management problem. This is, this is a woman who is um, heavy handed to say the least. She utters threats. She is into intimidation. It's just who she is. Um, she has substituted worship of the one true God for her idols, and her idols have made her now into their image and likeness. Hard-hearted stone creatures have now become a hard-hearted stony heart in Jezebel. And so Jezebel manipulates, deceives, and approves of injustice, and literally the acts of intimidation and threat is like breathing for Jezebel. She is a wicked woman bent on destruction. And so one characteristic of Jezebel, and we'll look at it in just a moment, uh, that seems to stand out among others is that she was a manipulator. Manipulation is any attempt to sway someone's emotions to get them to act in a certain way. And so it's using leverage, emotional leverage often to get people to behave in a certain manner without them necessarily knowing it. And so this is who Jezebel is. Um, there was a time when Ahab wanted to buy a vineyard. I believe I referenced this a few weeks ago in one of our scripture talks. Um, a man named Naboth owned a vineyard right beside the palace of the king and Ahab wanted it for himself. And so he went to Naboth and he offered to purchase it. But Naboth, because it was passed down through the family, refused to sell. And so he was disappointed, the king was, that he couldn't buy this property. And uh, so the story goes something like this. We pick it up in uh, 1 Kings chapter 21, near the backstory of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, beginning at verse 5. It says, his wife Jezebel came in and asked him, because he was pretty sullen and depressed and, and quite moody that Naboth had said no to him. So she says to her husband, Ahab, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Do, do you hear the manipulation? Do you hear the heavy handed um, uh, leverage, using emotional leverage as a tactic to get her husband? She's kind of shaming him and bullying him a little bit, belittling him. Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat, she says, cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them and sent them to those elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters, she wrote these words. Talk about manipulation. 
Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letter she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Um, Jezebel is a a manipulator. She is an intimidator. She utters threats and she follows through on them. Uh, It's a really sad story of a woman who didn't respect other people's boundaries. She didn't respect her husband's boundaries. Uh, She overreached and she um, belittled him and she talked down to him. She shamed him. And then she uh, actually sets up this innocent man who was just minding his own business, tending his own property. And she had him executed. And later in the text, it says all of his family. And so Naboth experiences false allegations and injustice. Lies were told about him and his integrity was slandered. Jezebel is the kind of person that you don't say no to or you reap a firestorm. Uh, This is not the kind of person you want to be in relationship with. So Naboth experiences false allegations and injustice. Ahab experiences, as I've already mentioned, belittling and embarrassment and shame. Jezebel is assertive, but way beyond assertive. She's a boundary violator and she is a control freak. Uh, She's somebody who overreaches and she doesn't respect where other people's um, decision-making power begins and ends. And then finally, Jezebel needed boundary resistance. Somebody needed to stand up to Jezebel and push back, but nobody would dare do it. Um, She didn't get any resistance from Ahab. Ahab is passive and he's permissive and he fails to challenge his wife. And boundary violations include two things, blocking somebody else who wants connection and then overreaching to control them. And so Jezebel is an overreacher. And um, we need to be, just as we remind ourselves today, as we consider Ahab and Jezebel, we need to be very careful who we associate with and who we build close relationships with. Be a student of people's character because their character will eventually leak out of them and it infects the people around them. And it can infect us when we're closely associating with them. All right, number three, here's the last one. We've had the beginning, the middle, and now the end of the story. The ending is about stubbornness and judgment. Again, um, the prophet Elijah comes and gives opportunities for mid-course corrections, which are refused. And uh, now they are set on a destructive course. And now their destructive way and the, um, uh, the impact of the idolatry that they've embraced is now fully infecting their character and it's leaking all around them and hurting innocent people. And so God is going to step in. God has had enough. He's given them a lot of opportunities to make changes, but they refuse. And so here comes a story of a tragic ending for Ahab. It's a tragic ending for Jezebel as well, but we'll focus on Ahab. I've always appreciated this story, not because I enjoy the ending of a man's life that was um, unfortunately quite sad and disappointing, but because of the providence and sovereignty of God in this story. Listen for the little cues in here about how God is always aware of 
who we are, where we are. And even those of us who spend extra effort trying to hide ourselves, God knows. And God always knows to support and to strengthen and to redeem and to forgive and to reclaim and all of that. And yet here is, here is a story where God's patience has run full course and there is an act of judgment. Let me read this to you and then we'll wrap up our teaching. So Ahab, king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went to Ramoth in Gilead. King Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, I'll go into battle, but I will wear other clothes so no one will recognize me. But you wear your royal clothes. So Ahab wore other clothes and went into battle. He went into battle disguised. The king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, don't fight with anyone, important or unimportant, except the king of Israel. When these commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought he was certainly the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But Jehoshaphat began shouting. And when they saw he was not King Ahab, they stopped chasing him. By chance, listen to this. By chance, a soldier shot an arrow. But he hit Ahab, king of Israel, between the pieces of his armor. So he's disguised. There's a random archer who fires an arrow. And it just happens to find the open space between the armor in King Ahab's, uh, on King Ahab's chest. So King Ahab said to his chariot driver, turn around and get me out of this battle because I'm hurt. The battle continued all day. King Ahab was held up in his chariot and faced the Arameans. His blood flowed down to the bottom of the chariot and that evening he died. It's a story of a man who unfortunately connected himself with a wicked woman. Uh, she had a backstory of idolatry. She didn't differentiate herself. She um, embraced her Canaanite backstory. She brought it into Israel's leadership, into her relationship with her husband and infected him also. So what was missing in this couple's relationship? Let me leave you with these three thoughts and then I'll pray for you before our host pastors come back. Here they are. The commandments of the one true God were set aside and exchanged for idolatry. We need to be very vigilant these days to make sure we say a big, emphatic, continual yes to the commandments of God. And uh, when we do that, we position ourselves for blessing and for a good and beautiful life. But idolatry will always take us in the wrong direction. Secondly, boundaries were violated. Uh, Jezebel overreaches and Ahab lost his voice. Ahab could not say a firm no to his wife. He had lost his convictions. He compromised his ways and now he was vulnerable and allowed his wife to overreach. Then here's the last one. The lack of personal restraint gave license to a wake of personal and communal destruction. This couple was bent in all the wrong directions. And because they had um, lost personal restraint, other people paid the price like Naboth and his family. And it's sad that both Jezebel and Ahab's ending is so tragic and so violent. Um, there's something called the law of the harvest. We do reap what we plant. We do grow up what we plant in the garden of our lives. And so Ahab and Jezebel were bent on violence and they had a violent ending. And it's just so sad to see people who had so much promise and so much influence uh, derail their own lives in this way. So my prayer for you today is that you will stay firmly uh, anchored and oriented around the one true God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will attach yourself to people in relationships where they will lead you in all the right directions, and you will lead them in all the right directions as well. And may we all find our voice and own the values that God wants us to own so that we can stay centered and so that we can say appropriate yeses and nos uh, along the way that would please the Lord. So let me pray for you, and then our host pastors will come back. Father, thank you again today for the reminder as we consider Ahab and Jezebel's life and their leadership, that there's a better way. 
Uh, I pray, God, that you would help us to say an emphatic and consistent no to those invitations in our culture to um, put anything up over and against our devotion to God. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the way we sometimes um, chase other things that lead us in all the wrong directions. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be on the lookout and to be discerning about relational connections, that we would make wise choices, that our primary relationships would be um, with people who lead us forward in Christ, and that we also can leverage our influence to lead other people forward in Christ. And so, uh, Lord, thank you again for today. Help us to be all ears, open-hearted, and ready to do your will at all times and in every way. And we pray all of this in the name of the one true God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.